So last week you, uh, you said you wanted to talk about uh, the power of convergence this week. So not operating in, in isolation, but bringing together multiple sectors, multiple ideas into one. Um, so you want to kick it off talking about that? Yeah, and when you look at any uh, really any any innovative company that's risen up over you know the last couple of decades, like Apple uh, or Amazon uh, or Tesla, they're they're all bringing together multiple different technologies. They're all bringing bringing the best of what each industry has to offer into uh, into like a more simple simple and. Uh, core package that is good for the user and it's good for the company itself. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think, I think that the new age companies that are really providing value are the ones that are, that are doing exactly what you're talking about with the convergence. Well, and it's interesting because when you look at different industries and you have your companies in those industries that are identified with those, they tend to get locked in. But when you look at a technology company, and people are always trying, especially on Wall Street analysts and whatnot, they're trying to categorize like Amazon. Well, Amazon's a retailer. Well, no, Amazon's a technology company. Apple's a technology company. They don't fit into any industry 
because they can take technology and go into any industry they want. And you look at a traditional retailer who they're probably going out of business or doing their best to, you ask their executives, what business are you in? We're in retail. You ask the execs at Amazon or Facebook or, or Google, what business are you are in? They say, anyone we want to be. Right. And that's a major difference when we're looking at companies in this era. Uh, and I'll give you a prime example. You take Amazon versus a staple. Now, Staples originally was a brick-and-mortar store with a little bit of online business, and they realized they were being attacked. For the last seven or eight years, their, their sales in uh, their physical stores went down. They've closed down physical locations, and they've actually done a good job of improving their online uh, business. The challenge is that they're still stuck in the same model. They're still stuck in the same industry, the office supply, office equipment industry. And you look at an Amazon, you know, yes, they were an online retailer. They sold office supplies and, and things of that nature. But Amazon obviously is a cloud company. Amazon got into the grocery business. Now Amazon, for some reason, which only Jeff Bezos knows, is looking very hard at AMC at acquiring a chain of movie theater. So that just shows you the difference how Companies, even when they do make the transition, they could still be in jeopardy of just looking at things on two fronts, online and uh, physical, instead of looking at the holistic view of things saying, you know, we got to get into the technology and expand into the other arenas. Yeah, and I, I mean, clearly the, the winners are, are coming forward and working uh, like AMC, which, you know, a couple of years ago, people would say very strong company and we're seeing them just eaten up, swallowed up by these, uh, by companies like Amazon, uh, especially with COVID. I feel like there's a lot of acquisitions happening right now and, and these huge companies are getting incredible deals on these, these companies that have fallen behind in terms of technology and, and integrating with, uh, with the new principles of, of engagement. Well, I think you hit upon a point that <clears throat> these were already wounded ducks to begin with. So they were lagging behind in their sector and, and in, the, in the markets, the S&P. I mean, every metric you use, they were behind. Well, now you have companies coming in that are very cash rich, Apples and Amazon, you know, companies that their, their revenue stream really hasn't been obliterated and they were sitting on a, a nice nest egg uh, before all this because they are such cash cows and they're able somebody like Jeff Be Bezos is able to go and not only pick up these companies for a song and a dance but because he has a different vision I mean he's not pursuing AMC I can guarantee you because he wants to have movie theaters and be in the movie industry I mean that that talk about an industry especially post-COVID that's probably dying. He has to have other motives there. And just like he got into uh, Whole Foods or got into grocery with the Whole Foods acquisition, it wasn't just to become a grocery chain, a traditional grocery. He went in there and he teched the hell out of it. And now they have technology that they're talking about licensing out to other retailers. And they're basically looking at making, you know, grocery shopping automated. Right. 
yeah, I mean, they're, it's, it's crazy to see how big companies like Amazon can still be so disruptive. Cause I think it's easy, especially, uh, we even talked about it in the last episode that, you know, behemoth companies have trouble being disruptive and, and innovative, but people like Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk and, uh, other major figures are still being disruptive and they're still swallowing up these other industries and, and not oh, just, I, yeah, I lost you for, Oh, okay. Well, they're, they're just not, they're not following the normal rules of engagement that, that we're, they're, they're going into an industry and changing the definition. Yeah, I, I think, I think there's no doubt about that. I, I think that's always been, part of the technology thrust with companies. Uh, I am old enough to remember, I think I've mentioned this in the past, about when computing first came out, personal computing, the issue or the question was, are you IBM compatible? Because at that time in the mainframe world, IBM was the world leader in computing. Well, obviously, we know 10, 15 years later after Microsoft got it hooked into people, IBM was no longer the leader in computing. But IBM is still around today. IBM's still a very strong company. Uh, IBM's gotten into a host of different uh, industries, if you will, within the computing realm. So they don't build computing boxes, but they're still one of the leading computing companies. Yeah. So to, to kind of go back into, uh, into 3D printing a little bit, um, I saw this today. Have you seen, uh, there's kind of like this, this talk that uh, 3D printing is in this valley of despair, and, and, uh, but, but we're on the, on the verge of more innovation in that industry and in, in uh, adjacent industries. Um, so yeah, I saw it, Kathy Wood talking about it. Uh, what do you think about 3D printing right now? I know you uh, 3D printing in terms of Tesla and, and how they're using it. Um, but what do you think more about 3D printing? Well, it depends on the, the time frame you're looking at. I, I believe ultimately we're all going to have 3D printers uh, in our homes and we're going to be printing uh, a variety of, of products for, as they say, pennies on the dollar because we just have to buy the raw materials. Now, that's certainly not something that's going to happen uh, next week or, or next year. That's a, a bit further down the scale. Just like when you look at the, the regular printing industry, the I guess you could say the 2D printing industry, uh, in the early days of personal computing, we didn't have you know printers in our homes. I mean, we had the dot matrix, but laser printers were very expensive. They were very uh, scarce. They weren't very efficient. Uh, but you look 20 years later, everybody has a laser printer on there. So I think 3D printing ultimately will go that way. What happened with the 3D printing realm is you had a bunch of companies like 3D and Stratasys that got in early, and they went after the the mid-end personal market, the, the uh, I guess you could say the five to $10,000 print market. And that really wasn't out there. And the only companies that were having any success uh, were companies such as Carbon and some of them that were able to come along and they had very expensive machines. HP, by the way, is one who actually has done very well in that market. 
And these were $100,000 plus machines. They were industrial machines. And four or five years ago, they were basically prototyping. Uh, it was single use, maybe uh, dual material use uh, machines. They didn't have a whole lot of versatility to them. But in the last four or five years, we've seen a lot of uh, transition in terms of the development in these industrial machines. They've gotten faster. They've gotten less expensive. They're able to use uh, multiple materials. They're still very costly. They're still in the automotive, aeronautical, the traditional 3D printing markets. So now you have the industrial is heating up. And at the personal end, it's all sub $1,000 machines. That's what's really taken off is the low end people just printing little plastic gadgets. So you still have a huge window in between the thousand and the hundred thousand, which really there hasn't been a market. For. And that's where I think people are starting to look that the next driver can be, you know, you get these machines out, let's say between 35 and 50 or $60,000. That opens you up to a different market, a different type of manufacturer. As the, the speeds have increased and the processes have gotten better and more diverse, we are moving away from the prototyping stage to, I'll call it light manufacturing. And that's one of the reasons why you see it in the automotive and aeronautical industry is because, you know, Boeing is not putting out, I mean, if you're producing gas caps for Boeing's, uh, uh, well, Boeing doesn't make their jets, but uh, let's say Rolls-Royce or GE is, is um, printing out gas caps for their jet engine. Well, they're not printing, they're not making 5,000 gas en or engines a day for, for planes. So they only have to print out a few hundred of them a day. So those are some of the things that I think we're going to start to see that you're going to find those mid-range opportunities for 3D printing. And over time, it'll just keep working down the scale. The technology will get better. So three years from now, what cost sixty thousand uh, dollars this year will cost fifteen three years from now. So if you were, let's say, you're advising these three D printing companies, if what what would your advice be to them in terms of what they should? Are they there? You mentioned the the large scale industrial printers. Are they focusing on? building those and, and finding those commercial customers first, or are they trying to continually innovate to the individual and the personal use uh, of 3D printing? Well, this, this is, that, that's a great question because it brings up a, um, a, a consistency that we see with technology. And companies have to focus on the higher end to start because of the cost. There's a lot of money in R&D. Uh, there's a lot of money. They don't have economies of scale. So they have to go where the profit margins are, which are at the high end. Obviously, if you're going to blow out a printer for $150,000 uh, and you can go to a Ford or a General Motors and they say, okay, we'll take 20 of these per plant. So give us 60 of them at $100,000 or $150,000, excuse me. That's a lot easier to do than to try to, to pawn off, you know, a bunch of $2,500. And especially since the $2,500 printer market isn't there. 
So it's the same thing we saw with smartphones. It's the same thing we've seen with PCs and, and laptops. You know, laptops, my first laptop was 1800 bucks in around 2001, 2002. And the technological capabilities of that laptop today probably doesn't even equal my phone. Uh, so when we look at the 3D printing market, I think what you're going to see is you're going to see the high end focused upon for a while. Uh, let's say the next year and a half or so. And over that time, the same technology is going to keep drifting down and down in price. And there will be more features and functionalities tied to it. And don't forget, with 3D printing, it's very interesting because unlike the computing world where you have PDFs or you have uh, XLS files, in the 3D printing realm, every file format is individual to the manufacturer. There is yet even to be really a standardized file format. So that's another issue on the back end. Adobe's trying to do certain things, getting their file format to be standardized, which, of course, Adobe wants that because then everybody uses Adobe. Uh, obviously, manufacturers and other entities are somewhat resistant to, to that because they don't want to pay Adobe licensing fees for PDF like they had to do years and years ago. So it, it's basically when you look at these industries that even though they've been around a while, they still are in their infancy stage because of the infrastructure development that needs. Uh, and it's the same thing I see with, with cryptocurrency. We have to build out so much infrastructure before we're ready for mainstream. But I'll say for 3D printing, in terms of products like we're talking about, uh, I'll say probably within five years, you will see them standard in most manufacturing facilities. But one thing that I'd like to add is obviously 3D printing. We see people 3D printing organs. People are 3D printing food. So you really have totally different industries, if you will, within the heading of 3D printing. Yeah, and I mean, that's, that's one of the things that's so interesting about 3D printing is that it's really every, every industry, kind of like crypto, it's, uh, it's, it's not targeting any one thing specifically. If you, if you look at the way that it, it affects the medical industry. It, it can affect food, uh, car manufacturing. Um, it, it goes back to that convergence point that that it's really it's bringing together the best of of all of these industries and put if you if you raise the tide on three D printing, you're raising the uh, the tide for for every industry. Well, and let me pose this to you: with three D printing. What do you think that does to the geopolitical situation and the trade situation and the global employment situation when you have supply chains that are affected by 3D printing? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I see a lot of disruption there because if you can, if 3D printing becomes mainstream enough, even on, just on the commercial side, you can imagine that. Why, why would we manufacture something in a factory in China when we could print it in a factory in America and then avoid, avoid transferring it from the factory to a boat, transferring the boat from China to America? Why would we go through all of that when we could just 3D print it in our backyard? Exactly. And I think that is part of the future. Way out, it, it may be we'll have 3D printers in our homes printing all types of products. but. In the much nearer term, you're going to see regionalized and probably localized manufacturing. 
from the job front, I don't think it'll bring a lot of jobs because <laughs> it'll be devices, but you know, you will have products made, you know, with an hour outside of your home and you know, it'll be probably delivered by drone. Yeah. So do you see a lot of innovation happening on the software side of 3d printing right now? I haven't, to be honest with you, I haven't followed it that closely. Uh, mostly because it gets very technical. So it really goes over my head when, when you start to, to get into that geek talk. I'm just not, not inclined to understand a lot of that. But when, you, when I look at the players, you have uh, Adobe, you have General Electric, you have Hewlett Packard, uh, you have IBM. You have some very large entities involved in it that I just can't believe they know this is where the industry's going in, in many regards. They know the opportunities that lie there. So they are out there. They're probably going to end up defaulting the software protocols simply because of the size of the marketplace. So, for example, if, if HP or, or General Electric get a ton of their printers out there, which they're actually doing a pretty good job of. I mean, the, the 3D printing division of GE is probably about the only division of that company that uh, I'm optimistic about. Same with HP. But um, they, they end up, just because they become the norm and they have such market share, everybody gravitates towards that. Uh, you know, it's like basically with Microsoft Office, even you know, open office and Libra office and some of the others, you know, they basically just copied uh, Doc and XLS and all of that because it, it became the default uh, protocol. Yeah, so speaking of, uh, of different companies, what, which companies in 3D printing are you keeping a close eye on in terms well, of uh, machines? A, a, lot, a lot of them, as I said, HP and, and GE are, are two to, to watch for. Uh, Carbon, which is not publicly traded, is another one. They have some real interest in stuff. Uh, Stratasys and um, 3D seem to be lagging a little bit, but they they're they're big enough. I mean, they they have some clout. So you know, from an investment standpoint, it's really not something that I I would I'm looking at this point to get involved in. Because it's one of those things, a lot of the innovation is coming from non-public companies. It's coming from uh, the startups and, and the unicorns and companies like that, which ultimately probably will end up being bought out by, uh, you know, it could be bought out by uh, a 3D or, or an HP, or actually it could be bought out by a Ford or a Tesla or, you know, somebody like that. I mean, it's uh, one of GE's acquisitions, ironically, they bought a 3D printing company <clears throat> to do just what I said. They wanted to print the gas caps of their their engines. And so they went and bought a 3D printing company that provide that. Instead of buying the printers, they just bought a company. Yeah. Uh, so it's one of those situations where right now, if you put a gun to my head and said, okay, put down $1,000, who's going to be the winner in five years? There's probably a 95% chance I'll be wrong um, because it's just – there, there's so many different ways it can go, which is really exciting. It, it's one of those yeah. things to, to keep an eye on. Um, but there's always 
I mean, we're, we're still looking at how do we, um, you know, get these things so that they can print more of a device and, you know, are they getting bigger? And, you know, you start to get into 3D printing of homes. I mean, that's a real sp specific application and you're looking at a printer that, that basically doesn't model anything that people would uh, basically think about as a printer. It looks more like, I don't know, something in a, a stage production because it's about 30 feet long and, you know, has rails going back and forth and it's basically a, a, a robotic, uh, you know, device. But that still uses that, that printing technology. And then yeah, if I you mean, really want to go far out, do a web search on uh, holographic 3D printing <laughs> where you can print a chair in about four seconds. That That's stuff they're working on out there. So, you know, there's just so much going on with any of these technologies. It's, it's simply amazing. Yeah. So what other, uh, what other things are you looking at uh, either related to 3D printing or, or non-related in the tech tech space right now? Uh, I just always bounce around just to keep an eye on things. I mean, I'm always looking at, you know, renewable energy and solar. I'm always looking at um, virtual reality and extended reality. Uh, that's one area where I think virtual reality is going to mirror 3D printing in the sense of the commercial applications, I think are going to outpace for a good period of time the personal applications. Uh, where three, uh, virtual reality is used for training purposes and things of that nature as opposed to, uh, you know, me having virtual reality gear and watching some type of program or getting involved in a game or something of that nature. Um, so, you know, I'm always bouncing around, obviously, being involved in, in cryptocurrency. I, I do a lot of research there. But I, I just look at things from the, the big picture perspective. And I always keep in mind that we're moving towards this idea of a digital brain, of a, you know, Web 3.0, of, uh, you know, this expandiverse, uh, multiverse. There's, there's different names where we're seeing a big push towards digitization, which obviously we're, we're talking about with 3D printing, basically the digitization of product. I mean, you have 3D printing, but we didn't even mention 3D scanning, where you take a 3D scanner and you put your coffee cup in it, let's say, it scans the coffee cup, then you turn around and print out six coffee. Um, so we're, we're really looking at the digitization of our world, censoring our world, putting sensors in everything and everywhere. So when we look at that and the interconnectedness of everything, spatial web, uh, and I'm throwing out these terms so anybody listening can, you know, write them down, do a quick web search and find some more information. But you look at the, the Internet came along. And what did that do? That, that connected computers. Then you had the World Wide Web, which connected basically text pages together. And over the last 20, 25 years, we really haven't advanced too much beyond that. The Internet has evolved. We have video, we have audio and all that stuff, but we still operate based upon HTTP protocol. 
And so when you look at that, we're still base, we're still building on a system that was designed to, to handle text. Well, the next evolution is going to start to include our physical world. It's going to include our biological world. It's going to include the digitization of everything. And we're going to have layer after layer after layer, digital layers of our physical world. And so one, I, one thing to keep an eye on is what happens over the next couple of years with extended reality, for example. And Apple, I believe one of their phones is already coming. Uh, one of their high-end phones is already coming out with extended reality uh, capabilities. So we're going to start to see that get into our phones. And then we're going to start to see the digital layer where we can access it easily. Um, obviously, you know, you, you look at different industries. It's very easy to see what's happening in the retail sector. But what's happening in the manufacturing sector? What's happening in the medical sector? What, what's happening? And, and the easiest way to find out is just to look at a Google or an Apple. What are they doing? You know, Apple's a little tough because they're so secretive about stuff. But what's Google looking at? What, what's um, Samsung looking at doing? What are some of those companies investing in and researching? What is Tesla looking at? Because Tesla's basically looking to become a software. Their car is just the delivery mechanism to gather the attention. So that's a real interesting thing. You can look at these different companies, and if they're doing something, you say, why are they going over there? What, what the heck is Amazon or Walmart doing with these drone patents? <laughs> well, there's something there. Yeah, I mean, these, uh, these companies are really leading the way on that front. And then, I mean, there's so much happening on the, on the startup and, and venture capital front that we're not even aware of and, and won't be aware of until they get, you know, either go public or get acquired by, by one of these huge companies. Yeah, and, and you mentioned something that, that really puts me at odds with a, a lot of the, the typical thinking out there, especially uh, financial thinking or, or investing. And it has to do with inflation and the money printing and things of that nature. And when you look at the investment dollars of today as a percentage of the whole compared to 35, 40, 50 years ago, it is enormous. So when you look at um, the energy internet, as an example, the estimates on that of setting up the energy internet are somewhere around 1.25 to 1.5 trillion dollars. And the energy internet is basically uh, the idea of connecting our energy systems, getting off these centralized grids and, you know, having renewable energy and solar and all that stuff where, you know, on blockchain and everything's going back and forth and you have excess energy, so you sell it to your neighbor and you know, they pay you in a crypto or whatever. And there's people actually out there working on that. Well, if that comes into being, I mean, you just dump $1.25 trillion into that. You know, that's 10 times what, in today's dollar, what the Apollo project costs. You know, and that's just one example out there. So, you know, how much money and billions is going into 3D printing, solar energy, and, uh, you know, augmented reality, and... Uh, virtual realities and you know you just look at all of these things space i mean how much money are we gonna have to put into zero gravity manufacturing to make that become i mean you know 
<laughs> I don't even know how many trillions, but that's something that are people people are out there looking or uh, you know plasma jet propulsion. I mean, these are just things that that are being pursued, and they're going to have significant impact. Maybe not in the next five years, but certainly in the next twenty or thirty years. Yeah, and I've—I mean, I've heard. I, I think they've three D printed stuff in space already. Just kind of small. You know, I, th- I thought I heard that they did like a screwdriver or something. Oh yeah, um, the, the space, uh, the International Space Station has a number of three D printers because you know you break you break a tool, you break a part on. You can't just run down to Lowe's or Home Depot to pick, get a new part. I mean, yeah, they, they basically have to create it right there. Yeah. And, and that's that's the interesting thing, if we can take another step back at the bigger picture. A lot of the, the, the interesting thing is in the last five years, because of Bezos and Musk uh, and, you know, your, your SpaceX and your Blue Origin and Virgin Galactic and all this stuff, there's a really a renewed interest in space. And a lot of the stuff that is being researched now, certainly has applications here, but it's being researched for its applications on Mars or the moon or, you know, on these space stations that we're setting up. And that's really, really interesting because they're trying to develop this stuff for outer space. But you turn around and say, well, if you can print a building on Mars or if you can, let's go a little, little more radical, if you can organically construct a building out of materials where it just construct itself, kind of like a, a nanofactor. Well, if you can do that in space, you can do it here. And if you, if, you can, if you develop that technology for the moon, well, we can do it here. You just change the entire construction industry instantly. Yeah. So that, that's just <laughs> where I love the interconnectedness of everything. And this is one of the things that when we look at you know, Wall Street, and, and you and I have discussed Wall Street analysts, they get very singular in their focus, or you get look people looking at the economy or different investments, and they're trying to present a case, and they want to look at a single stimulus response or, or, or something like that saying, well, this happens because of this, when you, you have to look at the interconnectedness of, of the economy, of finance, of technology, because it doesn't happen on an island. It doesn't happen in isolation. And we often in America here, I'll just use the markets as an example. We look at the market and, you know, everybody understands sector rotation. And even though the overall market's flat, you know, certain sectors are going up and other sectors are dropping. And we know, you know, the institutions are just moving their money around. They're just doing the sector rotation. But that's as far as a lot of people look at it. But what about the international rotation, because investors, international traders are always looking, you know, well, do I stay in Europe or do I go to U.S. or do I go to emerging markets or do I go to Japan or what do I do? And it's it's this holistic view, this interconnected view that I think makes the future more for generalists as opposed to special. Yeah, and to uh, to kind of circle back and tie a neat bow on on this whole conversation, you know, we started out by talking about convergence and, and you mentioned how it's similar to compounding in, in the finance industry. Um, the only real way to wrap your head around what's happening and, and really see where the future is going is to understand 
the the way that all of these different technologies and companies and industries are are converging together and uh, and innovating on all different fronts, but bringing it all back together in the end. Yeah, I mean, I think you know by me, and I'm sure it's a similar situation by you. Basically, one major area of retail due to COVID has gone online. We basically have now online food shopping. You know, before, very few people were shopping online for food. You know, you might buy a a bag of potato chips from Amazon or whatever, but most of our food, we went to the supermarket. That has been totally changed, and grocers are now delivering. You, You place an order, they deliver. It's like getting a pizza. And that's just a radical shift. It just shows in a small way how radical a shift can be. And then you start to tie in a bunch of other technologies, like you start to sit there and say, okay, what if we add virtual reality, and instead of a physical store, we have people actually going down the aisles in a virtual store through a virtual headset. you know, Or instead of going and looking at that house and touring that house physically, we go on to a realtor's website, and we're able to virtually tour the home. And we can change the time of day and we can find out, well, I don't know, those neighbors look a little iffy. Let's see what it's like at 11 o'clock on a Friday night. And all of a sudden you see a keg party out. <laughs> uh, well, we don't want to live there. You know, yeah. these are just some of the things that when you just let your mind go a little bit, it, it's you start to see the convergence of different things. And now industry barriers get obliterated and where companies that want to stay in a particular industry are doing themselves harm because they have to be involved in technology. They have to not only check out their com- their industry or their company, but they have to look outside and say, what can we adjunct? To? Yeah. And I think, uh, I think that's a good point to, to leave with the audience with, uh, you know, to, to keep in mind how, how are industries converging and how, how can they play on that convergence since we're, we're kind of tying this to uh, to finance and investing. You know how how would they how would they think about the convergence, but then also uh, invest in the future in terms of converging technologies? Yeah, as an individual investor, um, you know, and and again, maybe it's, it's helpful just to to talk about investing as opposed to trading quickly and to differentiate. I'm talking about investing here where you, you have a, let's say, a one to three year timeline on a particular stock or company or whatever, not looking to, to make a quick trade for, for 30 days. or. But when you're looking at the investing, again, I come back to I th- there's a reason why Amazon, there's a reason why Google, there's a reason why Apple of the world have been so successful. And if I see companies that are singular in their focus, um, those are probably the ones to shy away from, even though they may be on a very good run now. Um, you know, where is a Remax going to be in five years? Uh, where is a Home Depot going to be in five years? You know, are they intent on staying in the same industry, or are there ways that they're going to expand out? You know, and I don't have the answers to some of these questions. But that's what I think people need to be looking at because we know how quickly a company can go from industry leader to 
basically done. I mean, that can happen in a couple years' time. Yeah, I think there's a, I think the the investment landscape is definitely shifting, shying away from, you know, even even index trading. I mean, indexes used to be, I think, even even bigger than they are now, and uh, and now I, I I'd be worried to to you know hold on to index uh, funds and ETFs that that hold these huge companies because they're, you know, I mean, you never know which which one is just going to go go under one day. Yeah, I mean, it, in my opinion, I mean, it, the only index funds that I like, and I, I like it for a specific purpose, uh, is the um, the market itself. And to me, that if you're not interested in really putting forth a lot of effort and a lot of research, buy an index fund from a reputable company, you know, just, just play the S&P you know, and get your average of whatever percent, 6%, 7% historically over, you know, 70 years or whatever. And and fine, you, you're lazy, you don't want to do anything. That's a wonderful way to do it. But it, yeah, to, to have like a, a 3D printing index fund, to me, that's, that's you know, a, a lot riskier than I want to be. Or a real estate uh, investment fund, you know, I, I think if you're going to do that and you're going to go industry specific, you better be willing to put in the time to, to research and find out who who the up and comers are in the industry and, and who's fallen by the wayside. Yeah. So uh, any final thoughts to uh, to leave the audience with until next week? Uh, just to be agile out there. I mean, it's obviously the way the markets are right now. Uh, and that's overriding all technology right now. We're in a, a tremendous time of economic uncertainty. Uh, we will probably move into a time of financial uncertainty with not only on a personal level, but on a comp- many companies level. So agility is, is paramount. And, you know, at a certain point in time, the markets, the, the economy will settle down. I don't know when. Um, Obviously, the the stock market's been on a tremendous bull run, and that's probably an indicator to be very careful what's out there. But, you know, the best thing I can suggest to people is always just keep researching, read, read a lot of different things. I, You look at uh, my history uh, in, in my browser. I mean, I'm all over the place. Uh, you think I'm ADHD, but it's just when you get into the science journals or you get into... Uh, you know, different facets of technology or, or finance or business or or social media or whatever, you find a lot of snippets there. And, you know, each of those snippets, sometimes you start pursuing it and they, they yield tremendous insight. Yeah, I think uh, agility is definitely where, you know, where my mind is at uh, in terms of, you know, investing and investing in terms of money and, and time, you know, just looking at an industry and, and not being afraid of just jumping right to, to a completely different side uh, of the coin and, and looking at it from a different perspective. Um, yeah, I think, uh, I think you really hit something there with, I'll call it belief system. And, you know, we have all these beliefs that we've acquired over time, probably most of them programmed into us by, you know, people around us or advertising or whatever. But, ideology or, or beliefs, you better hang on to them very loosely right now. 
because things are apt to change so quickly, especially due to technology and, and geopolitical things and, and all kinds of different reasons that you might, if you're holding on to an ideology uh, or a particular belief system, because that's the way it's always been, that could be a recipe. Yeah. And uh, quite frankly, I think Warren Buffett is starting to encounter that. Oh, definitely. I, I definitely agree with you on that. Um, I think he's, he's definitely stuck in, in a lot of the more traditional ways of, of doing things. And, you know, I, I wouldn't expect much. I mean, he got into Apple just a few years ago and uh, I mean, he had plenty of opportunities before that. Yeah. He, he missed, he missed 90% of the move historically over Apple. Yeah. You know, it, it's just, that's one thing that it's are you using outdated ideas and, and i think you know things are changing in such a manner and quite frankly one of the problems that i see is we don't have metrics to measure a lot of this stuff in, in ways that people can use so we, we're stuck with old metrics you know year over year increase on in store uh, store year over year increase or whatever and you know that's not really telling of what's taking place. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we definitely need new, new models, new ways of thinking about everything, and that that goes right back to the agility point in terms of you know individual thinking, but also agility in in the broader research space. Um, so yeah, I think that's you know a good place to leave the audience with. So thanks for coming on, and uh, I'm curious to see what what the response is going to be this week. Hopefully we get more followers. <laughs> that would be nice. <laughs>